0: Hey, it's Brian, back with another Burr Months bonus episode! I mentioned before that these Burr Months bonuses were originally meant to be a way to warm us up and tide us over as we awaited the official episodes for the 2019 season. But I realized a couple of things. First, you guys really seem to like these episodes. I've gotten so much encouraging feedback from so many of you. And second, we're still in the Burr Months, and we're going to be all the way up to the end of December. So keep a lookout for these Burr Months bonuses to be sprinkled in among the season's core content. You'll recognize them in your podcast feed because their titles will always begin with Burr Months bonus. You can look forward to more things like readings of classic Christmas stories, new music showcases, roundtable discussions, interviews, and anything else I think will make your season merry and bright. These Burr Months bonuses are also where you'll hear me giving updates and announcements like these ones here. There's just over two weeks left to get your tickets to Christmasland in Los Angeles on December 15th. It's an immersive Christmas movie experience, with appearances from Nikki Deloche, the boys from Deck the Hallmark, Alonzo Duralde, and others. It's a one-of-a-kind event, and I'll be there too. I'd love to see you. So go to christmaslandexperience.com for details. Also, it's still more than half a year away until July, but the wheels are in motion for the Christmas in July convention from Silver Screen Events. Come to Nashville on July 24th through the 26th for parties, activities, celebrity sightings, and much more, including me. Details are still emerging, so go to silverscreenevents.com for all the latest and follow them on social media. You can also check back here for updates throughout the season. And finally, thanks to everyone who's left a review recently on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help make the show more visible to people looking for Christmas content, so leaving a review is kind of like spreading Christmas cheer and I'll even send you a sticker to say thanks. Write me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com for details, or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, on to the episode. Barbara Hinsky is living the dream. She's an attorney, but she recently made a career change to full-time novelist. Her Rosemont series has earned a devoted readership, and in 2016 she published the novella The Christmas Club, It's a story set in the 1950s, following a woman who loses her Christmas savings but ends up gaining much more than she could have expected. This season, the Hallmark Channel adapted her story for a movie starring Elizabeth Mitchell and Cameron Matheson. The movie premieres on December 3rd, and that's tomorrow if you're listening in real time. I caught up with Barbara to discuss writing, Christmas stories, Hallmark, and a lot more. I'll come back at the end to say goodbye. But for now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Barbara Hinsky. So, Barbara, I'd like to start by asking you to give an overview of the Christmas Club.
1: Sure. So the Christmas Club is set in 1952 in Cleveland, Ohio, back in the day when people had Christmas Club accounts at the bank, um, which I realize everybody doesn't know what a Christmas Club account is, and we can talk about that later. But uh, Verna Lind comes out of the bank with her hard-earned Christmas Club money. She's got six $5 bills, which in 19... 52 was quite a bit of money. She'd saved it all year long. She slips on the ice when she gets out of the bank, and her pocketbook falls and springs open, and her six, $5 bills blow to the wind. A young man and a young woman who don't know each other, two strangers, see her fall, help her up, get her back into the bank, and find out what she's lost because she's very distressed. And so the young man says, well, you know, I'll go out and look for your money. Um, and he and the woman leave the bank. Well, of course, the money's long gone. It's blown to the wind. But he pulls out his wallet and he says, well, I have five $5 bills here. I'll give, give her those and tell her I found them. And the woman pulls out her purse and says, well, I have one 5 So they pull their money and go back in and give it to her. She's grateful to them, very grateful, thinking they found my money, but not because, oh, they've seen me as this poor old lady who's lost her money. will take pity on her. Um, and meanwhile, those six, $5 bills have blown to the wind and have all been found by six different people who go forward and do kind things with the money. Um, and the stranger, the man and the woman, there's a spark there, but, you know, it's just a casual encounter and they're busy on their lunch hour and they don't get each other's names and numbers, but there was a spark. And as the book goes on, they see each other from a distance. And um, Christmas Eve then happens. And I guess I don't want to I don't want to give a give anything away, so I'll leave it at that. Okay,
0: and. You mentioned the notion of Christmas clubs, which are actually sounds like an extension of an older tradition known as the Goose Club in Victorian London, where uh, people would pool their resources to be able to buy a Christmas dinner for themselves. This is something that goes back, uh, has quite a, a long history. Uh, what inspired you to write the book? Was it a piece of history or was it something, something like that?
1: I heard a homily in a sermon at my church like 35 years ago, um, and it stuck with me all these years later. The point of this story was to do kind things for people, but do them in a nice way. You don't always need the big old pat on the back for doing something nice. You don't need to be recognized. And that hits home for me because I'm like most of us. If I do something nice, I kind of want somebody to give me the big old thank you. Well, you know what? That isn't always nice on my part. I don't, sometimes it costs people to, to give the big old thank you. And so are you really being generous if you are doing it because you want to be loved up and fluffed up? I don't think so. Um, so that, that little crumb of a story stuck with me all these years. And uh, um, I came to write the story because I'm in, I was at that time part of a women's fiction writers group and we were all going to write a novella and contribute it to an, and anthology. Um, as it turns out, I was the only one who wrote, who actually got the novella written, so I just published it on my own. But when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, what would I write about? So I took that little crumb of a story, which had, it had to do with someone who lost money, but not Christmas Club money, and it was in 1952. I, and then there wasn't love stories and pay it for, forward with the $5 bills. And in the sermon, I added all that stuff around it. But that was the crumb of an idea.
0: And when readers read the story, are you hoping that you're taking away that message of generosity without the expectation of reciprocity?
1: Yes, absolutely. And from my reviews on Amazon and in my facebook I've got a lot big facebook platform that's exactly what people are doing they're uh, The idea is generosity without reciprocity, and also the idea that generosity doesn't have to be the big splashy $1,000 gift, $500 gift. You can do something kind for somebody with five bucks, with no money. And we all need, we all need a little bit of encouragement and something nice. If you can touch someone, even in a small way, you can change their day. I believe if you can change their day, you can change their life. And if we change lives, we change the world and make it better. So I know that maybe sounds a little grand and a little silly, just one one little Christmas novella, but I really do believe in the whole theory of pay it forward, random acts of kindness, generosity, and connection at the grassroots between real human beings.
0: And it seems like we're all a little more inclined to do that around Christmas time. But, of course, generosity doesn't really have a, a season for which it's most valuable. It's the kind of thing that people can and should do all year round. Absolutely. Now, you used to be a full-time lawyer and made the transition to full-time novelist. Can you tell me how that came about?
1: Well, I published my first book in 2012, and I was still practicing law full-time and managed to, to turn out um, a book a year which is a pretty, plus some novellas. So that's a pretty robust um, writing habit when you've got a full-time practice of law. When I sold this script to the Hallmark Channel, I decided that I really needed to step away. I really wanted to focus on my novel writing. But boy, I'll tell you what, it, was, it sounds easy. I had a lot of fear about it. I worked with two counselors for six months to get my mind ready to to let go of that because I I loved my law job and I loved my career. It was very comfortable and um, satisfying. So it sounds kind of silly to have to work with a counselor, but I did, and I'm so glad I stepped away. I've had a new project that I'm just finishing up Last February, I was I had donated naming rights in my next book to as a silent auction item for a local library's fundraiser, and I went to their annual gala and sat next to the development director of an organization here in Phoenix, Arizona, called the Foundation for Blind Children, um, and they provide services to the blind, not just children. They their youngest or their oldest child is 104, and so we were talking and he invited me to come tour their facility, which I did the next week. And as I'm walking around, I just felt this electric charge. And I thought, you know what? I'm looking at the big old check on the wall from major league baseball for a million bucks. And I thought, I want to have one of those checks on the wall, but I want mine to be 2 million bucks. Um, But guess what? I'm not rich. How am I going to do that? Well, a book can raise $2 million. So I thought I'm going to write a book. And a novel, and donate half the proceeds to the Foundation for Blind Children. So the idea just came in my mind to write the love story between Garth, the guide dog, and Emily Main, his newly blind young woman handler. So I conceived of it. I did tons of research. I took white cane training myself, which they were generous enough to provide me made inroads for me. I spent three days on the campus of Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, California, and decided I need to write this book now. I need to try and ride the wave of my publicity from the Christmas Club to support this book. Its name is Guiding Emily. I, so I quit practicing law, and I spent two months writing it, and, and there we are. Um, So it was a real affirmation to myself that, yes, you have done the right thing. The year 2020 is, of course, next year. And as you can imagine, for all organizations that deal with blind people, they're really ramping up their fundraising, their marketing for 2020. And I thought, well, better get this book done and be part of it. So that's what I did.
0: What do you think makes a good Christmas story?
1: Oh, I think a good Christmas story obviously has to have generosity, kindness. It needs to have connections between people. It needs to have warm and cozy elements that we associate
0: with Christmas
1: and just a beautiful, big heart.
0: When it comes to a Christmas story, is is the writing process different?
1: For me, it wasn't. I, I wrote The Christmas Club in six weeks because I thought I was on deadline to contribute to an anthology. So I just put my, you know, seat in my chair and wrote.
0: You know, it's interesting that most Christmas stories nowadays kind of come in two flavors, right? Number one is the romance, and even romances tend to come in one flavor. It's the story of how a couple came together as opposed to the story of how a couple keeps romance alive, for example. Uh, and then the other the other side is maybe the the homecoming, right? Like someone comes home, or families reunited after a long time. Like those are basically the two versions of the modern Christmas story. But it it wasn't always that way, right? You know, in the Victorian times, there were Christmas ghost stories, of course, um, a Christmas Carol being the most famous one of those. Uh, so things kind of change over time, and I wonder if we're witnessing another change in so far as uh, not, now the Christmas story uh, remains. Firmly in the romance genre, uh, specifically the story of a couple coming together, but it's told in a very particular way, uh, the way that Hallmark and their competitors tell them in this kind of nine-act structure, which um, uh, I'm not using this in a negative uh, sense, but you know, they, they unfold in a very predictable way. And it's just interesting to think that we're perhaps witnessing in process the the evolution of the Christmas story into not only a romance, but a, but a romance told in a, in a set way. And when you were writing this story, did you have any of those factors in mind?
1: No, I didn't. And so Hallmark has taken my book and um, with their screenplay, they set a current day and and changed, you know, made it into that nine act structure Um the book is more of, a, I think, a little bit more of a throwback with, with the love stories, many love stories and different love stories, not just between a couple, but um, just love between people and friends and colleagues and parents and, and all of that. And I have to say, I absolutely adore the script. I think it's brilliant. I think they've done a wonderful job with it, and they added some twists and turns that my lips are sealed about, but that I wish I had thought of. Um, so I think Hallmark did a brilliant job with it.
0: Now, how did the story come on their mate radar in the first place?
1: After I wrote it and you know published it, and a whole bunch of my reviews said this would be perfect on the Hallmark channel. And, of course, any author they're in their little beating heart hopes that something does come to the screen and the Hallmark channel in particular, because um, it would break my heart to have my book taken and add, you know, a bunch of violence to it or something. And no, so I wanted it to be told in a nice way. So I kept asking every single person I knew, do you know anybody at the, at Hallmark? And I had an agent who represented me um, And sold my audio rights for my books to Audible. My books are are, uh, traditionally published in audio format. And so I asked Sarah, and she said, well, she said, my neighbor is, or someone she knew well, is John Esquinas, who is the executive producer of Good Witch. He's the executive producer of my movie. And she said, do you want me to give him a copy of it? And I'm like, yeah, please. And The rest, we say, is history.
0: Well, but it was also thrilling to be on the set. What was that like?
1: Oh, it was so fabulous. I've never been on a movie set. Um, And I didn't know what to expect. I kind of, I wondered if people were going to be mean and snippy to each other and diva-ishy. But, of course, that wasn't it. Uh, Everyone couldn't have been more lovely to us. And to each other, these people, their minimum day under their contract is 14 hours. They are in constant motion. It was hot in Winnipeg, 94, couple of the days when we were filming. So it was uncomfortable. And sometimes they would film all, all night. Night scenes require darkness, and it didn't get dark there until 10 o'clock at night. So working conditions were tough. People were tired. People generally get cranky. I do when I'm tired there was not, I never heard one crossword between anyone. It was wonderful. And I'm telling you to sit in the video village and to see these beautiful actors on the screen say words that you wrote. um, It is an experience I'll never forget.
0: Is there any behind the scenes stuff that you can share with us?
1: Yes. I mean, you know, it's, it was filmed, it was 94 degrees. And so we got, there's a beautiful Christmas carnival scene in um, in the book where a lot of the action takes place. So I got to see that being set up. You know, they roll out these huge sheets of fake snow and there are people who actually sit on the ground and sew it together. The attention to detail is incredible. Because... Um, this was filmed in the park of a private girl's school. And across the street, you could see, you know, the grass berm along the sidewalk. Well, not for the Hallmark movie. They had to cover all that up. I never would have noticed that, but they noticed all of that detail. There's an entire group that's the greens department, and they had, I want to say, 60 real Christmas trees and people that, you know, if they set a scene one place and then moved it to another, there was a green crew who grabbed Christmas trees and hauled them uh, over to the next location. It's kind of like what I've never seen, actually seen the circus being set up and torn down, but you always read about how efficient that was. I think they have nothing on Hallmark. These people, you know, electricians, lighting people, set decorators, all on it. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. I just can't say enough about these
0: people. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Barbara Hinsky, and if you get a chance to check out that Hallmark Channel movie, keep your eyes peeled for Barbara's cameo appearance. And the next time we meet, it will be for one of our core episodes of the season. It'll include the backstory to one of your favorite Christmas traditions and, of course, your Christmas memories. There's still time to send me one this season if you'd like one included in an episode, and it's super easy. All you have to do is record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it to about a minute, keep it clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Barbara Hinsky, and of course, thank you for listening. If you get a chance to check out that Hallmark Channel movie, I'd love to know what you think about it. So follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation and the fun. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.